Let's do it. One. One, two, three, four. Which line do you want it to be? Do you want to take a ride and maybe we'll see? Left line, right line, red line, green line, whichever line, gonna be fine on. Hello, dear Other Line listeners, and thank you for tuning in today. We've got a great podcast for you today, a gentleman that we've been meaning to get on for quite some time, Mr. Chef Curtis, gracing the great city of Denver, Colorado right now with his culinary skills. Mr. Curtis, please say hello to the Other Line listeners. How are you doing, sir? Hi, howdy, everybody. Uh, Doing pretty well. Obviously, now it's... uh kind of a tough time for all of us out here, but uh, definitely happy to be on and kind of tell our inside part of the story and looking forward to talking with you guys. Yeah, this is a weird question from someone who you're just meeting, but as someone who's in the industry right now that literally cannot operate, just how are you, man? How are you holding up? How's your team holding up? Um. I would say that I'm doing I'm pretty well. I mean, obviously, there's some days that are, you know, pretty, pretty difficult to get by. And, you know, we won't lie. It's, it's, it's been tough. And it's, what's kind of crazy for us is, especially for me is going from in the restaurant industry, it's, you know, pretty demanding and uh, a lot of hours and not just like mundane hours, either. They're, you know, balls to the wall kind of really, really hard hours so it's my week was going from working 12 hours a day on my feet and you know always moving and then going to zero hours and kind of just sitting around the house so it's it's a huge flip of kind of just daily activity and you know mental stimulation things like that and so that's it's been a weird weird transition and just trying to wait and see follow the news every day and see when we can uh, kind of get things rolling again, waiting, waiting anxiously. So talk to us about, um, you know, kind of the, 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 maybe the more detailed impact on um, your restaurant in particular, the restaurant industry within Denver, maybe at large. So what, what exactly are you guys, uh, you know, I guess the term furloughs being thrown out a lot where maybe the, the connotation there is that you'll come back, uh, you know, once things settle down, or are you, are you actually kind of indefinitely laid off? Uh, how, like, how does, how's, how's that worked within your restaurant? And, and what do you know about other, um, the food scene in general? Right. So it was, I mean, when it first all started, I mean, everything happened so fast. It was right around March 16th that Denver totally shut down um, in in restaurant dining. Um, so like the few days leading up to that, everything escalated pretty quickly and we weren't really sure what would happen. What would happen. <clears throat> um, we kind of went from, all right, we're going to move away and just do from full day service, lunch, dinner, the whole thing to now we're just going to do happy hour and dinner and then we moved to just doing dinner and then eventually we, we had to shut down and the only option was to go to um, take out and carry out food and 
my restaurant, my particular restaurant concept just wasn't really set up to transition right into that. And, you know, we would have had to change our whole menu and the entire way we, we served our product. And we weren't confident enough that we could flip that in a couple of days and provide the same level of service and quality to our customers as, you know, we would expect of ourselves. So my chef owner decided to uh, just kind of close the doors uh, until it was the original uh, mandate was starting March 16th. We weren't allowed to do in, in, in restaurant dining until May 11th. So it seemed like at the time, it seemed like a very aggressive timeline. Um, but, you know, now obviously it seems like it's, you know, kind of right on par. Um, so as far as the furloughs and the layoffs and stuff, uh, I know all of our salary workers got furlough job attached. So um, that is the intention to bring everybody back on. And I know that has uh, you know, different stipulations with the unemployment process where it doesn't require you to continuously apply for jobs. Um, as far as our hourly employees, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I do believe they all do have that attach attachment as well. Um, I, I know we sent out a company wide email that said, you know, we don't plan on laying anybody off permanently and we're, tr we're trying to, you know, do everything we can for all of our employees. Uh, and then once, once this thing or once the city opens up that we'll get everything moving and flowing as normal with everybody coming back that had a job before. So I know um, a lot of, we are kind of a, a major staple restaurant at, at Cholan in Denver. So we've been around almost 10 years now. Uh, a lot of people know our name. So it's a little bit easier for us to kind of take this in and, and, and suffer the, you know, the consequences of being closed two months, but a lot of other smaller restaurants, might not be able to take that on um, so I don't don't know I know a couple of really quality restaurants were able to transition to take out food and they there's one uh, Annette scratch table in Aurora um, she's Caroline Glover she's been awarded a bunch of James Beard nominations and uh, best new chef in America um, she's doing a lot of really cool stuff right now. And she actually just wrote an article for CNN. We can get back to that later. But I know they furloughed all their employees initially. And then I think some of their chefs kind of worked out their menu where they could do to-go food. And then they opened up within a week, I think. And they, so now they're transitioning into just doing to-go food. I know they're doing a lot of meals for healthcare workers, um, things like that. Um, so everybody's kind of responding to it differently, just to, depending on how their concept can adapt to something, um, as unprecedented as, as this. Um, so you're having a lot of different response. I mean, some people are fully laid off. Some people are furloughed. Some people are, you know, operating in a minimum capacity. Um, so it's, it's just really, it's a really strange time right now for the restaurant industry and, nobody's really sure how long or you know you know everybody's doing their best to adapt to the situation right yeah i think you know i, I mean this is obviously the situation's affecting every industry but um you know in in many respects i think the restaurant industry is 
hit a little bit more significantly than than others and in, and more tangibly at least than than a lot of others do you anticipate this event uh changing the the industry uh, in any significant way like what kind of impact do you think i mean i guess both in short term uh with respect to are people going to like flood restaurants do you think once once this uh, the the lockdown and stay at home orders start to subside across the country, and then long term, do you think this is gonna, you know, is, is it gonna bolster um, restaurants takeout service options, or or you know, how do you see it changing the industry both short and long term? Right, um, ab- absolutely, it's gonna change the restaurant industry. I don't I don't think we'll see dining services like they were for a while, a long time. Um, so. I'll try and tackle all those little sub questions. Um, first, I think moving forward, the restaurant industry is going to have to change the way they operate. Um, I think psychologically, people are going to have a tough time. Uh, you know, with our restaurant, we have an open kitchen, so you know, mm. people can people can see us making their food all the time. So I think, you know, obviously the surgical mask or some some form of that is is going to be a staple for a while, um, as up to two years maybe before people you know are okay with people just having their you know open face um definitely a, a higher concentrated use of gloves um will be used things like that um and then as far as us what's kind of unique about us and things that were just starting to catch on in in the u.s where family style and shared dining concepts is that's kind of how we operate so um, a lot of our, our bigger dishes are shared between the table and, you know, that's kind of our whole, our whole steves, our whole concept, if you will, is that's, it, it makes service so much smoother, especially for a large restaurant where we can put out a couple of entrees that feeds the entire table, as opposed to sending out six entrees for individuals and having them all come out at the same time so the so the opposite of tapas yeah right um, thank god yeah be down yeah, with the I hate tapas, tapas. <laughs> terrible yeah i mean some people do them good but it's it's you know it's kind of a little niche uh market it's not not full dining um but yeah i mean that's something i love too is is the family style concept and i, I was really you know in the future if i were to ever open my own restaurant i'd want it to be under that kind of concept it, it kind of kind of has that more intimate feel where you're sharing a meal with your you know the people that you're sitting at a table with you're all sharing the same dishes and it's 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 very you know loving and kind of more familial um so we just actually had a meeting with my my head chef uh yesterday or two days ago now um where we were talking about that that concept could be dead you know people are are people going to want to share plates with everybody that's at their table like so now we're we're talking about reintroducing an, a whole new menu where it's going to have to be individual entrees and no more shared plates and things like that because how long is it going to take for people to want to eat off of somebody else's plate right um, so. that's man that's 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 really interesting I, it's something i would have never thought about you know that the consumer the consumer preferences might have completely flipped and and yeah. yeah i had not considered that i mean you know we joked about tapas but if if something like a family style 
uh, portion and, and entree options on a menu, if that's something that, that might change, um, you know, as a result of consumers no longer being willing to accept, um, you know, as much exposure among each other, then certainly the tapas style is could possibly take a hit too. And I mean, I that's kind of been um, that's been pervasive. I'll use uh, for a while now that concept. So, but it's crazy. I you know, I something you just you just don't think about um, as as just a, a diner, a casual diner. But um, on the inside, you know, behind the curtain. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the strategy behind a menu, you're right. I mean, who knows what could yeah. So, I mean, with a restaurant of our size, it's, you know, if, if you do transition to having to do six entrees per, six smaller individual size entrees per table, we'll just pretend like it's a six, six out versus, you know, two large entrees, a couple of hot bites and some appetizers and a salad that can be split between everybody that requires you to have a few more hands in the kitchen, which means, you know, your higher, higher operating costs, your, your menu prices are going to be lower. So with, with an industry that already has such low margins, it's, it's, it could be very challenging for a restaurant like us to reopen and change our concept and have everything run smoothly. Um, and obviously, you know, you know, knock on wood that we hope people are wanting to come back out. But what happens if we prepare for that? And, you know, we, we go into a deep recession and there's not people don't have money for going out and eating. And so we're, you know, we're also talking about trying to drop our menu price, how we can navigate ingredients so we can drop our menu prices. So it's a little bit more accessible for people to come out and eat. Um, but you know, what happens if, if nobody wants to come out and eat? Yeah. Uh, so we're, we're struggling with that. And then, you know, also I think uh, we are right in the heart of downtown Denver's business district. So sorry, this is kind of a 180 flop, but um, we rely a little bit heavily on uh, business people for lunch. So our lunch service is, is sure. heavily focused on targeting, you know, businessmen and women in downtown Denver. Um, and now with a lot of companies transitioning to telecommunicating and working from home, I, I think that might even be, you know, that's kind of another side effect on the restaurant industry is if you have a lot more people working from home, you know, our lunch service is going to take a hit and we kind of need that to kind of help, you know, hit our, our daily sales goals and margins and, and things like that. It's, you know, we, we can do a pretty good business on lunch, but if, you know, if most companies are working from home and especially if they start transitioning into, you know, kind of a concept where they're encouraging people to stay away and, and not gather for who knows a year or two years, it's business lunches are gonna, you know, be a thing of the past. A lot of people are gonna be, you know, bringing their lunch, things like that. So I don't know, it's, it's gonna be weird. And, and you know, we're just kind of, like I said, it's, it's a day by day waiting game to kind of see, you know, we're, we're monitoring other restaurants to see if they are, are successful in the takeout. And if that starts picking up, if people start getting tired of, you know, cooking for themselves and uh, we're, you know, fingers crossed. And I think the last part of that original question was, you know, 
is everybody going to, once this thing opens up, are they going to be stir crazy and want to get out and want to eat? And, you know, that's kind of our best case scenario. And our most hopeful thought is that people are going to be so tired of being cooped up that they want to go out and eat and they want to, you know, share a meal together with other people. But it's, it's, it's a precautionary kind of, or, you know, careful treading on once things do open up, I think. Yeah, I can tell you personally that I am ready to get out there and just stop cooking for myself because unlike you, I'm no good at it <laughs> and it's a little tiresome. But Curtis, I wanted to, you obviously thought about this, you know, every which way. I'll kind of want to go back and get a little bit of your origin story. What inspired you to get into the uh, food service industry? Um, where are you from, man? And just kind of give us your quick roadmap to being a chef yeah. yeah Curtis start, start start us from because your your story and your kind of career trajectory is likely the most interesting of anyone I know and I should tell the the listeners should we have any <laughs> that uh, that Curtis and I have been very close friends um, since we were we were children playing soccer and hockey together since I don't know nine or 10 maybe. Um, and, and so, uh, I, I'm very glad that he is, he is on and, uh, and sharing his story, but start us, I, I want you to walk us through, you know, maybe start from, from college, uh, cause, cause the trajectory is, is really, really fascinating. Yeah. I mean, even before, I mean, as far as cooking, I mean, this is kind of a deep rooted, you know, passion of mine. And, like John said, we grew up in South Bend, Indiana, um, for most of my life. I was born in, in Lansing, Michigan, but right, just right across the border. Um, so yeah, I mean, growing up in the Midwest, it was, it was, it was good. We had, you know, we weren't, we weren't poor, we weren't rich or anything like that. And kind of cooking, I was introduced to cooking a lot. My, my mom and my dad, you know, they always had home cooked meals on the table every night. So that's something I was, I was grateful for. And, you know, they weren't, they weren't amazing cooks by any means and but it was it was always home cooked and and that's something that's a testament to them and that kind of piqued my interest you know in the summertime we always had the grill fired up or you know, lots of you know lots of unique food home cooked meals which is kind of takes it back to the the family style dining aspect that I, I so much enjoy um, so I'm really grateful that you know my parents cooked a lot um, so that's where I kind of first first got started, and then once I got to once I got to college, it was you know always just kind of fun and a hobby, and just really enjoyed enjoyed kind of messing around in the kitchen, and it was never really a serious option. Almost for five years later, after um, after I got out of college, or after I guess graduating high school. Um, so went to school to get into public policy. Uh, wanted to work for NGOs, government, you know, organizations. Uh, wanted, you know, had high expectations of changing the world. And um, while I was in school, I was fortunate enough to study abroad in Italy. So Italy was kind of my my first real eye opener of what food could be. And you know, we were always eating and the you know the square the market squares and you know amazing pastas and pizzas and uh kind of just really got a 
awakening to kind of the culinary expertise of of Italy, which has a pretty rich tradition of, in the food world. Um, so after that, came back and after I graduated college, I, I didn't really have any direction. I, I moved down to Texas to live with my sister and was just working at a golf course. I, I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't didn't really set myself up really well <laughs> to succeed in the, the political sphere. And uh, so I was kind of defeated in that. And then I had the um, wonderful, wonderful opportunity to go teach English in Thailand. So I moved to Thailand for a year and I, I taught English there. And again, kind of this, the second awakening of, of what food could be. The, the flavors were just so exotic and, you know, it's just incredible food over in Thailand. And so that's when I kind of started to, you know, experience a little bit of a change in heart of what I wanted to do. And, um, while I was in Thailand, my, uh, my sister got pregnant and I was, I was planning on staying over there for two, three years to teach English. Um, but I came home for that, um, life moment. And so I was, I was back there living. And then once again, was back in this, I was back in the Midwest in Indiana and didn't, wasn't really happy back there. Didn't really understand, you know, what I was going to do with myself. And I had a couple of friends moving out, uh, to Colorado. So I hopped on that train and we all moved out to Denver and, uh, five years ago now as 20 end of 2015. Um, and then I just kind of said, screw it. I'm going to make a, a hobby into a career. And, you know, with no experience, no professional experience, like nobody would give me a job. And so I, I really just started washing dishes at a, at this brunch restaurant, which if you've ever, ever scrubbed eggs off a plate, multiply that by 300 times a day um so yeah you know I had to earn my stripes and you know it was kind of humbling with a you know a college graduate with a bachelor's degree uh washing dishes but it's kind of how you you know you you really enjoy something and so spent a little while washing dishes and then you know eventually I worked my way onto the line and and then I was the uh, the kitchen manager at um, Sassafras American Eatery is in Denver. Um, uh, managed that restaurant for about a year, uh, and then kind of at that time it was just time for something new. Uh, so I, uh, as I do most of the time, I uh, I quit that and uh, I took an, another life experience and I uh, I went and traveled Japan for five weeks because once again culinary destination rich history uh so got some inspiration there had always always been interested in asian food um but never really got into it uh too much professionally and then so after i got back from japan i i picked a job at um what, where i'm working at now cholan and it's kind of a more southeast asian uh modern style a lot of french techniques um and it's just that's kind of where i knew is it's it's very high very high end um but still the those exotic southeast asian flavors from my my time in thailand um so i got to hit a lot of my you know my goals working here and been there or been at cholan for about two years now and just kind of worked my way up. Uh, I was just kind of a, a garmage or a salad cook when I started. 
uh, ran every station and grew pretty quickly. And uh, last November, I got we opened up a second restaurant. Uh, so one of our chefs moved over to open up the second restaurant, which allowed the opportunity for a fourth chef to to move up. And uh, luckily for me, I, they had enough faith in me to move into a chef's role and so that gives me a little bit of more creativity and a little bit more oversight or yeah overseeing of the whole operation and you know I still have a, a ton ton to learn and but you know that's what that's part of the arts is that you, you know, it's kind of an endless amount of knowledge to gain and uh, that's you know what I strive for every day and hoping to hoping to get back in the kitchen here so we can uh, move uh, move our uh, concept forward. Yeah, and that's obviously a, a, an incredible story. I'm sure uh, I want to get Tom's thoughts on that for sure um, because you know I I I know it. It'll be nice to hear a, a, a fresh perspective um, from someone who's hearing it for the first time. But something you said uh, I, I wanted to bring up because I think it really resonates with um, the, the other line brand and, and philosophy and it, you you mentioned um when you were making that transition into uh into the culinary arts you, it, you're turning a um a passion into a career and you know i think we talk a lot on the podcast about people that are trying to balance their careers with uh, with their passions and the things they enjoy and trying to do those not just on, on the weekends when they get a little bit of time but also trying to mix it in during the week whether it's you know playing music or you know painting um, something writing whatever it is uh, but we have mentioned and I think you might be the first guest um, to to actually embrace it we've mentioned that it's not just uh, that you can have one or the other oftentimes and and the hope for most people I think would be that in, in all the situations you could marry your career with what you doing what you love um, and I think in your in your case it's it's uh that's this is an example being lived out um, which is which is really cool I think for for our listeners listeners to hear um, Tom do you have you have thoughts on on that incredible backstory Curtis shared or marrying the the passion with the career i think you hit it right on the head in terms of how it meshes with the overall philosophy curtis that's an amazing story man you're like a modern anthony bourdain just out there <laughs> thirst for knowledge and just doing it um I, I could only hope i i got two questions one backward looking because john brown has built himself multiple times on this podcast as quote unquote without exaggeration, the Prince of South Bend. So we're going to <laughs> confirm or deny that before oh. we get too deep in there. But if I also, just given the amount of cultures and cuisines that you've been exposed to, I, if you could build that dream concept restaurant that you alluded to before, I know you said it would be family style, but what else would kind of be on the menu right now in your mind I mean, you can, in this instance, take into consideration what's happening with COVID or not, but I don't want to know uh, if John was a prince and what's your dream, man? 
he was he was he was prince like i don't know if i would uh give him the prince the the ultimate prince but we uh we definitely had some good times in south bend and uh we were we were particularly well known i would say in our, at least in our uh, social spheres <laughs> all um, right damn straight <laughs> uh yeah so as far as you know what the future looks like and you know as personally it's there's always you know part of the part of the being in the arts is that you you constantly stirring up ideas and you know ambitions and creativity is it's constantly running so you know a lot i have a lot of you know different concepts that can be kind of all over the place that i'd like to do um you know i think it'd be a lot of fun to um even though i'm working in fine dining now i don't necessarily know if fine dining is is kind of the way i want to go uh, I'd like to bring, you know, a lot of fine dining techniques and make it more available to people and kind of lose some of the, I think a lot of the time in restaurants, people can get caught up in the pretentiousness of fine dining. And I, I don't really necessarily think that that's a good thing for the restaurant industry. Um, like I said, I, I think cooking for people should be a joyful time. And I don't think we should be nitpicking on, you know, critics get a lot of a little bit too much uh you know acknowledgement i think and, you know I, I don't think there's anything worse than going into a restaurant and somebody that's poured their heart out into a menu and kind of just ripping them apart and, um so i, I kind of want to get away from that and you know get more so into the joyousness of, of sharing a meal with people um so i mean moving forward there's a couple of different concepts that I'd like to do. I think it'd be really fun to, to, to mash up. Uh, so during my travels in Southeast Asia, kind of the, the best uh, meals or the most fun times were eating in the street foods, uh, the markets, things like that. So kind of mashing up, uh, doing like a food truck or a food cart or a, maybe even, you know, kind of like a, a gastro pub, something like that mashing up Asian street food classics with American street food classics. Uh, so, you know, you have, you got fried, fried chicken is, is a concept that is universal. Yeah. Every country in the world has their version of fried chicken. So, so kind of doing like a, like an Asian sticky fried chicken sandwich. And then I have this, uh, don't steal these ideas now. Um, I have this, <laughs> So in, in Philly, they have the Philly cheesesteak. And then in, in Korea, there's uh, bulgogi. Uh, so I want to do a kind of a, a bulgogi cheesesteak with, you know, grilled kimchi, Ooh. grilled kimchi instead of, you know, peppers and onions. And then Bam. Do, do like a gochujang spiced uh, uh, cheese sauce, beer cheese sauce. If you, you know, you're parked outside of a brewery, you can, you know, you highlight one of their beers and, and make a, a beer sauce things like that uh so kind of just like cool fun creative little sandwich very casual street food you know things kind of almost soul food um people that want to you know sit down go to a brewery eat some fatty greasy fun delicious exotic style eats um so that's kind of an, an a fun initial concept i'd like to get into um takes away kind of all of my passions you know soul food plus asian street food um very casual dining sitting around eating with your friends 
Um, so that that's kind of a, the epitome of what I think is good eating. Um, and then the lifelong goal is, is something I'm working towards every day um, is kind of a, I'm a pretty big advocate of, I mean, as probably most people are as sustainability and the restaurant industry is, is, is hard to really take that on. So um, there's trying to minimize waste and things like that um, is, a, is a challenge, but one of the restaurants I'd like to work towards in the, in the future is, you know, you kind of see these concepts on chef's table, but is a, a restaurant that I've already dubbed primal. Um, so working towards creating a restaurant that's focused on some of the most, the oldest and most primitive forms of cooking, you know, over open fire, um, things like in creating, burying food in, in the ground, fermenting, um, low on use of electricity and just getting really back to the roots of how we started cooking. And, you know, I, I think, in, I'm not sure, Tom, if you're in Chicago as well, but John, you're in Chicago, there's a lot of concepts like this already. Um, there's Royster in, in obviously Grand Ackett's restaurant, and then there's El Shea. Uh, they, they have these open, these open fire hearse that you just load wood in and you get these coals and you just cook over coals and open fires and things like that. I think that's a really cool concept and um, awesome. And so just doing stuff from stuff local, um, you know, obviously having been born in Michigan and spending a good amount of time in Michigan, I, I kind of always imagine this concept happening back there. Um, place with a lot of hunters, you know, you could do, you know, venison, things like that. And, and a very agricultural state. So, you know, you have all sorts of produce that you can take advantage of and a, a state that has four seasons. So you can change the menu every every couple of weeks and depending on what what produce is good that week and just really really primal eating and and make sure it's it's just delicious and it's for the people it's from the land and then obviously minimizing your waste just because it's composting your scraps um breaking down whole animals and, and cooking the whole animal just getting getting away from you know the gels and the foams and the things that tends to be Instagrammable and just getting back to really good cooking and stuff that, you know, kind of made us human and the driving of civilization. You talk about Mesopotamia and things like that. These being able to sit down and cook allowed people to, you know, build specializations and really allowed civilization to bloom. And, and I know that's a bit all over the place, but you know, I got plenty of years before I, and probably good enough to to try and work that concept and dial it in a little bit there. Yeah, like, sounds amazing. I feel like yeah, sounds my cool. Mouth as well. Mouth is watering the whole time, and I and I've gotten a history lesson. Um, yeah, really cool shit. And hey, uh, as you well know, should you should you want to lock down primal on the trademark register? Uh, here with <laughs> no. the USPTO, yeah. I'm but a call. I'm but a call away. I'll, I'll reduce. I'll reduce my fees. I'll definitely go to you first. But but yeah, <laughs> let's let's get on that. Tom, uh, final thoughts on on what I think might be one of our finer episodes uh, in our in our other line podcast history. <laughs> it's definitely the most lucid episode that we've done. Um, 
Curtis, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. I, you know, I'm inspired just talking to you and I hope you get that concept and put it in Traverse City and get all those rich people to eat off your plates and all that stuff. So it sounds like you're on a pretty awesome journey, man. And thanks for sharing your other line with us. Yeah. And if I could just, you know, a couple of last words, I just think, you know, with this, this crisis happening is I really just want to make sure that people are, once it's over, go out and supporting local restaurants and, you know, uh, hopefully they're a little bit more, uh, federal assistance coming towards local and independent restaurants than what perceives to be happening. Um, I know I talked about it briefly that Caroline Glover from Annette Scratch Table, she just wrote an article on CNN. Um, it's in CNN Travel about Donald Trump's response team and uh, the kind of the response towards the reviving the restaurant industry is, is not quite enough um, from the eyes of uh, local independent restaurants and you know it's kind of more focused on larger chain restaurants and high-end restaurant tours from New York and LA and things like that so I just think it's really important that everybody goes out and supports their local restaurants their favorite ones and uh, do their best to help you know <laughs> revive the revive the industry yeah I know it's a great it's a great final message I mean I couldn't agree more um, you know I, I think most people believe that the the local restaurant industry wherever wherever local is for them is a, a, a vitally important part of of their personal community american fabric at large and and if if it starts to deteriorate which you can you can sadly see it start to happen already um you know I, that's a that's a piece of of american life you you can't really get back so we don't want to see that we don't want to see that wither anymore and and yeah the, the more you can go out and support your local restaurants um curtis is is absolutely right please if you if you can get out there and do it um you're, you're gonna get a great meal out of it and and hopefully you'll you'll help preserve this thanks guys with, with that thank you curtis um we will we will see the other line listeners hopefully again next week yeah all right thanks man excellent all right sweet